Welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast. I'm your host, Chap Ramsey. You know, we're fresh off of CattleCon 24, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual meeting this year in Orlando. What a great adventure, and they sure treated us well. Coming up today, some thoughts about that event and some major takeaway items and a couple of great conversations. First up, Minnesota Angus rancher and immediate past president of NCBA, Don Shufflebean, as we talk about the past, present, and future of the beef industry. And we'll close the gate talking to singer-songwriter Abby Hamilton out of Kentucky. Good stuff coming your way on the American Cattleman Podcast. Let's ride. The American Cattleman Podcast is made possible through the support of Rawhide Portable Corrals, the number one portable corral on wheels. Often imitated, never duplicated. Learn more at rawhideportablecorral.com. And by Shorty's Cowboy Hattery, where for over 30 years, a Shorty's hat means you're serious about how you look. You can trust that your hat will be handcrafted by folks that truly understand the heritage of the Western cowboy. Learn more at shortyshattery.com. Now, here's the host of the American Cattleman Podcast, Chap Ramsey. Thank you, Hunter. What a hoot it was to be in Orlando for CattleCon 24 from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Now, while Florida is a long way from Alberta, Canada, and Washington State, we met ranchers from there and nearly everywhere. The folks from NCBA tell us they expected about 6,500 people to make the meeting. But surprise, 7,500 showed up. The big takeaways that we heard day after day centered on animal welfare, regenerative agriculture, sustainability, meeting consumer demand, ranch-to-restaurant, farm-to-table efforts, and the overall perception of the beef industry. Time and time again, we heard about how our industry represents such a tiny segment of the American population. I mean, did you know just 2% of Americans are involved in production agriculture today? A hundred years ago, 25% of the population were involved in farming and ranching. What that means is that many consumers have no memory of how food is produced and delivered. Beef comes from the grocery store, after all, and not from the ranch. Now, the downside of all that is a lot of folks who are ignorant of food production can make up all kinds of wild stories for a media that's only too happy to share them. Bottom line is that we need to do a better job in helping consumers understand that what we are doing matters. And the industry's been changing to meet expectations. Over the next several editions of the American Cattlemen Podcast, you'll be hearing from the stories of the folks we visited with who are on the cutting edge of the beef industry and why beef still matters to the American consumer. And hey, if you don't yet subscribe to the American Cattlemen magazine, come on by and get that done by heading to AmericanCattlemen.com. Now stay with us because you're about to meet the immediate past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Don Schiefelbein, right here on the American Cattlemen Podcast. We understand cattle. That's why the world's first hydraulic corral just keeps getting better. Our system is simple, flexible, and durable, built to keep your cattle operations easy and trouble-free. All the best features of a portable system with unmatched customer service is why Rawhide is 
often imitated, never duplicated. The Rawhide Portable Corral. Hey, welcome back to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you along for the ride. My name's Chap Ramsey, and I'm going to be here with Don Schiefelbein. If that name sounds familiar, well, then you know something about the NCBA. He's the immediate past president of one of the greatest organizations on the planet Earth. Don, welcome to American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you with us. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Look forward to it. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about what it is you're doing. You're past president of NCBA. We're going to get into all that, but I want to learn more about your ranch and where it is and what you're doing. Yeah, we're, we're a family operation on steroids is what we really are. So when people hear about our operation, kind of the family is usually what they're talking about. And I farm with not one, not two, not three or four, but eight brothers. Oh. So there's eight brothers, their wives, our collective 32 children, their husbands and wives, their children. <clears throat> when you add it all up, chap, you're talking about a mass of about 100 of us all trying to make a living together there in Kimball, Minnesota. And how are you doing that? I, and I don't want to get into specifics, but I, I have friends that have run large operations, and, and they've done it in a kind of a unique way. One guy who's very good at husbandry, does husbandry. One guy does very good at marketing. Marketing. One guy does very good at health. They do health. You guys, do, you know, one does crops, one does maintenance. Boy, you've described the operation. There you That's go. exactly what we are. So we, we call it, we have our own kingdoms, if you will. Right. Everybody kind of has got their own kingdom, but the group can trump the king in the kingdom. Right. So you have to kind of stay on track. Otherwise, the group gets involved and says, hey, let's do this a little different. I will tell you where I heard about this. I was at uh, uh, the dairy conference up in Madison, Wisconsin, yes, several sir. years ago. And, you know, it... it so farmers tend to be a little bit, well, you know, just kind of closed mind about things. And, and if you're milking, you know, 50 head, that's a full-time job. But, but still, you've you got to do everything. You've got to do the crops. you got to do. So I'm talking to a guy from Israel. Sure. And this guy from Israel, that's what they do. And they, they form a co-op, and everybody's got their own job in that co-op, exactly like your family. It's, it works. And, and then we pool resources right. to get whatever needs to be done in that kingdom, right? So we all work together, but we all have kind of our little area of interest, if you will. Isn't that amazing? So <clears throat> this is in what, what part of Minnesota? Central, right, right? Dead central, just south of St. Cloud. Now, you're dealing with a whole different set of circumstances up there in central Minnesota than, say, somebody in Amarillo. Oh, no, no, no doubt. <laughs> so... What, what are you running now, Angus? Yes, sir. We yeah. have about 1,200 registered Angus cows. So we run Angus. We also produce some Semitol-Angus hybrids that are all the result of embryo transplant out of some of those uh, recipient Angus cows. Um, so you're doing that for body weight? and for we're, we're doing that to make sure our customers, our seed stock ah. customers, have options of genetic products. Got it. So we're going to make offer an Angus product, and we're going to offer a Sim Angus product. And, and, you know, something about the Angus breed, they have just ruled the world for decades now. I mean, you go to any grocery store anywhere, and they say, hey, there's certified Angus beef. 
That's a big deal. Yeah, and I was honored to serve as their president here a couple of years ago and actually served as the chairman of the company you just mentioned, Certified Angus Beef, about three years ago. Yeah, so and, and incredible, incredible organization. They own it. They do. <laughs> they do. Even though if you take a, a black baldy and you, know, and, and you put them on the rail, you can't tell the difference, but it's the marketing thing that's really worked well for Angus producers. They've done a tremendous job. Uh, you got a bull sale coming up. Yeah, we do. What's we do. going on? Well, we sell a lot of bulls. We don't just sell one. We sell over 400 bulls. Uh, most of them, 375 of them, or 360 of them, I guess, are Angus, and 40 are Semitol Angus. So a lot of bulls to sell, a lot of just cutting line, breeding lines, genetics. So, yeah, we're big into it. Everything's genomically tested, and we try to make sure we market the best. You know, that's one of the things we've been talking about since we got here to NCBA is genetics and data. you got to watch those things because that tells a story going forward, doesn't it? it? Absolutely. So we genomically test everything. So not just the bulls, the heifers, everything gets genomically tested. And every mating we do is mated specifically for what we think the resulting genetics will be. And that's a smart way to do it. <clears throat> what does that produce for you? Well, you know, we're, we're different than most, so not only do we sell bulls, okay, we're buying back the calves from the customers who buy our bulls. You follow me? Yeah. So we're selling the bulls, and we're buying back the very genetics multiplied of what we sold them. So if we make a mistake genetically, we pay for it in spades from the customer's calves we buy back. Mm. If we do things right, we reap the benefits from those genetics that we sold those customers. Which is exactly why you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Along with the bull sale and, and, and buying back calves, you got a couple other things going on, don't you? Oh, we have a pretty extensive crop production, so we're, we're, we're creating all the feed that's feeding all these animals, which is significant. So, yes. I, I just overheard a conversation you were having with a friend of ours, Wes, from American Hereford Association. And you were talking about rotational grazing and feeding in the bunk and giving an acre per cow out there. Talk to us about that. I think this is just amazing. Well, we have a very extensive embryo transplant program. And for embryo transplant, you're bringing those animals in every few days to do what's necessary, right? So you want them close to the bunk. And so what we did is we said, let's leverage this fact. We need them close. Let's leverage the fact that we're in the heart belt of commodity byproducts so we can get feed byproducts incredibly reasonably priced how do we leverage that have the convenience of being able to get these animals in the chute and allow us to do it very efficiently in an area where land costs is your limiting oh, yeah, factor yeah. so we said let's feed them 75 percent of their nutritional needs in the bunk through byproducts but let 25 percent of it come from the pasture ground so it allows us to get these recipients up every day because they're coming to the bunk and yet they have the advantage environmentally of being out with their calves on grass and this surprised you there's something because again i overheard you and wes talking about this it surprised you that the cows were not filling up on the grass before they came into the bunk that was our fear our fear was they were just going to eat the pastures down to nothing right and whatever was left in the bunk, they would just eat as additional. But they actually eat the bunk first and then graze the pasture. So we actually even rotate them within those units so that they have pasture rotations as well. And that's better for the 
for the uh, ecological part. It's better for everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. With manure management, Half everything. Yeah. Everything's better that way. Wow. Yeah. So it's just exactly what the doctor ordered. And you're really just using your resources wisely. Don Schiefelbein, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest here on the American Cattlemen Podcast. Great to have him with us today. You know, we heard a news story, Don, not too very long ago about exports and imports with regard to beef. And I want to ask you about that because the news story was this, that we are not exporting like we used to, and but we are importing more beef. And one of the reasons is the strength of the dollar. It's so strong that exporting cattle is really expensive for those nations that use our beef. What are we going is that first of all is that accurate? It's absolutely accurate. All you have to do is travel abroad and you'll see that in real time that uh, your dollar because of the strength isn't as good a value, right? And so what do we do about this? Well, the reality is when we're in this part of our cycle, the other thing that's happening is we're constricting our supply, right? When you have a shrinking supply, that means everybody has to ration the beef that we produce. That means not just domestically, but that means internationally too. So it becomes really a challenge when we have tight supplies that how do you continue to grow the export market when there's just less stuff for everybody, right? So you have to ration it, and it's, it's, it's a tricky feat. Yeah, and... and- the other problem, from what I understand, is that our cow herd is down. Our numbers are down. Smallest in like 50 years yeah. again, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and then but, we, but that's a double-edged sword because, you know, because of that, the profits right? are going to be really, really so good over the next real years. careful. Exactly. And to me, you just have to manage this thing really well. You surely don't want to lose sight of the fact that you want to have enough supply that beef retains its spot at the center of the plate. So people can afford to eat it most frequently, and it's kind of the centerpiece. You begin to lose that. Our price goes extremely high. All of a sudden, you get on this downward spiral. And I don't know if any listeners have heard of the sheep industry. Oh, boy. But all of a sudden, you don't have enough supply, and it loses its place on the plate. And the next thing you know... You're out. You're just an outside, rare... Protein. Protein. Yeah, yeah. Don Schiefelbein, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest here on the American Cattlemen Podcast. I, I've been enjoying this like crazy. Now, you were past president of the, Amer- of the uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What did you learn from that experience? Oh, my goodness. I can't begin to start. The first thing is, is this beef industry is a big, big ship. And to turn it or move it is incredibly slow because it's just this huge ship. Lots of pieces, lots of parts. We got industry connections from packers to feeders to backgrounders to cow-calf guys. Everybody has a little bit different viewpoint of where we think we need to go. And in the end, we have to somehow get a collective plan that all those segments can agree on and march forward. And that is an incredible feat. Herding cats. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, you know, and every, we're kind of a competitive bunch right and so yeah so profitability and p's and l's are in there right and they're saying if i do this is it going to be the benefit to them and what i keep preaching and it's so so very important when you are a member of a group of people that represent two percent or less of the population if you don't work together 
you are doomed. Right. And so we have to figure out collectively all those segments. What is our best plan? Because 80% or more of the stuff we agree on, let's hook arms in arms and let's go forward with those 80% so that when we're talking to the people who are writing the rules on how we're going to live in Washington, D.C., they have a clear picture of what our wants are. Right, right. And, and that, that is so very important. And you just touched on something. I was talking to some boys from Atlanta just a little bit ago, and they brought up the same figure as you did. 2% of the American population has anything to do with agriculture. We're so diverse, so divorced from the farm and ranch that, that folks just don't know where their food comes from or how it gets there. Yeah, and the startling number is, it's a number I used across the land, is 50% of the U.S. population is not one, not two, but three generations removed from the family farm. So as we talked just earlier, when you ask somebody like that, where does milk come from? It's the grocery Grocery store, store, right? (laughs) They have no other means of knowledge of it. And so... What really becomes an issue there is how do you communicate to a group that knows zero about your industry when there is an organized force who's trying to put us out of business that is trying to tell them a very different story? I mean, who would have thought in Reality 101 that people would believe that cattle would be bad for the environment, right? right? And get a bunch of people to believe it. I mean, it's just startling, right? It's remarkable. But it goes to show you, when they're that removed from what we do, the person with the largest microphone begins to win the message game. And some of those microphones are pretty well funded. Exactly. And and so as soon as we start spreading our message out and distorting it between what one cattle group says versus another... It gets just muffled and lost, right. right? And so they come and they beat us down with their incredible dollars. So the idea is to have one voice exactly. and move forward. Even if we don't agree on, on everything. And right. that's the key. And, and this whole idea, and this is what I've been preaching time and time again. This idea that if you disagree with somebody, you leave and start a new organization is crazy. And I want everybody who's listening to think about if we had that mentality in our country. You know, there's some things that are happening in our country that I don't particularly agree with. But does that mean we just say, I quit the United States of America? No, no. not on your life. You need to engage your neighbors. You need to engage your friends. You need to become more engaged, more involved, so that your voice is heard more clearly. And don't give up the country. Take the country back yeah and and make sure that you're 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 clear in your message absolutely you know it's it's all about marketing (laughs) and and you guys know this you you guys in the media know how muffled it can get so quickly right and they're like if they don't know our industry and one is saying we go left and one says to go right typically they go nowhere right (laughs) and and that's where our industry is Don Schiefelman, ladies and gentlemen, what a wonderful conversation I've had with you. I was warned, I was warned by our good friend Gail McKinney that, that, that you are a knowledgeable person that loves to talk 
and can go down many rabbit holes, and he has been proven correct. <laughs> <laughs> this, this has been a great experience. I said I feel like Columbo sometimes, Don. I, you know, I, I, I start out the door, and then I turn around and say, oh, I got one more question. So yes, I, I said I had one, and now, now here, we, here we go again. What about the future? Uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the past yep. and, you know, the, the ignorance of some folks about farming and ranching. What, what do you what do you see in the future? I mean, you're you're a businessman, first of all, and I think that surprises a lot of folks. But you are a business guy. What do you look at the future of the cattle industry moving forward? There's one barometer that matters, and that is beef demand. If you look at our position today from beef demand... Your audience needs to know it is superb. It is excellent. When COVID came along mm. and people said, our consumers will not pay that for a steak. They will not pay that for a hamburger. They were wrong and they were wrong in spades, right? All you had to do is look through a grocery store and it didn't matter almost what you priced it at. The hunger and demand for beef was there across our country and they're willing to pay for it. What that tells me from a future standpoint is you young guys, you're in a business where people are willing to pay a good price for a good product. We have seen that across the board. You know, everybody was preaching that we were going to have this massive recession in 2023. It didn't happen. And, and, and right now, you know, the Fed's talking about, oh, interest rates and whatever they're going to do. But the amazing thing is the consumer has been resilient throughout this entire process. Now, they may be holding on to a little bit more debt, but they're still buying, which is 70% of our GDP. Yeah, and the good news is they're not willing to give up beef, right? They're not willing to say no beef. They're saying we will buy the beef. We may give up something else, but beef's not one of them. And that bodes for a very positive future. Don Schiefelbein, ladies and gentlemen, has been our guest on the American Cattlemen Podcast. I got to tell you, Don, I've really enjoyed this conversation. No wonder you were the president of NCBA. I can understand that completely now. And uh, thank you for spending so much time with us. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. I think we made us another good friend. Good stuff from our friend Don. What a great ambassador for the beef industry. Learn more by heading to his website, sheffelbeinfarms.com. That's Sheffelbein. S-C-H-I-E-F-E-L-B-E-I-N. And remember, he's got himself a bull sale coming up. Speaking of coming up, Next, you'll meet singer-songwriter Abby Hamilton, who hails from Kentucky. Something quite different here on the American Cattleman Podcast. It's way more than just a hat. It's a piece of American tradition. We're talking about Shorty's Cowboy Hattery, the finest handmade hats in the country. Founded by National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame, Lavona Shorty Coger. For over 30 years, Shorty's Cowboy Hattery has covered the heads of rodeo stars, music stars, working ranch cowboys, and folks that just want to look like one. Shorty's hats remain world famous and are sought after for their attention to detail, intricate sewing process, and signature beaver fur and beaver fur blends. You gotta get you one, or two. Visit shortyshattery.com because you deserve the best. 
welcome back to the American Cattlemen Podcast. Great to have you with us. Uh, my name is Chap Ramsey, the host of ACB. And with me on the hotline is Abby Hamilton. Abby is a singer-songwriter out of Kentucky who's making it big with folks all over the continent. Hey, Abby, welcome to the American Cattlemen Podcast. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey. So you're from Kentucky. You know, I spent some time in Kentucky a long time ago near Paducah. You know any place by by the name of Paducah? Oh, yeah. It's called uh, Dirty Duca if you're from <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, uh, hopefully McCracken County has changed just a little bit. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about your music. How would you describe what it is you do? Well, um. To my family, I would say I'm a country singer. Uh, to my extended family, I am not a gospel singer. To my friends, I'm a songwriter. So I try to do kind of everything. I fell in love with songwriting when I was in college and, uh, you know, really grew up with a rich, rich history of country music because of my grandparents and um, over the years fell in love with rock and with punk and um, I think I just um I'm, I'm starting to write and tour so much these days and trying to do trying to do all of it. It's really right, fun. Right, right. Well, you know, it's interesting because you ain't no George Strait, that's for sure. No, nor are you Dolly Parton. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and and so your target audience is maybe a little different. Alternative would would that be a correct example? I mean, what you do? Yeah, maybe. I don't know really. I'm I'm with you on that. It's like a interesting genre clash at times. Um, but I definitely I adhere to the communities around country music for sure. But I I would probably say alternative. That's a good that's a good genre blanket for it. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's a real difference, all right, between Trailer Park Queen, which was an earlier release, to your latest Zookeeper of San Diego. I, I, I that's uh, uh, well it's different right yeah 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 how would you explain that well i think uh i think i'm influenced so heavily by the storytelling of country music just as much as i'm influenced by like the just the really the thick arrangements of rock music so both of those really play a play a part in what I do and sometimes right. I feel like some of them rear their heads harder than the other one you know but right. the goal is right. to get them to to exist together you know so I'm, I'm on that journey trying to figure that out now who, who would you describe as your target audience who do you think that you relate to the best oh um I don't know I think I think I would just say women probably. Um I'm yeah. I'm so I'm so heavily influenced by these matriarchal women in the south. I grew up with, like with just these grandmothers who were powerful and like in charge and everyone yielded to them. I feel like that's a that's a huge part of southern culture. Um and I think I've always wanted to write music for for women. Um people are you know, given their voice there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll take anybody, but right. that's the goal. <laughs> hey, bring it on. So you, 
apparently come from because I was reading a little bit about your bio. You apparently come from a musical family. Yeah, yeah. I've got, um, you know, every Christmas or holiday or birthday party, uh, we all gather around the piano. And my aunt Brenda, my great aunts were in a Southern gospel group called the Hamilton family in the 70s. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's not a time in my life I did not grow up with music in my home. And um, my extended family, there's just a, a beautiful legacy of um singing together and playing together so uh yeah most everybody if you're not my great aunts you're you're a worship leader you're a gospel singer or you're a musician and a band and uh that's where i've fallen in the whole thing talk to me a little bit about that juxtaposition between being gospel and a religious family and singing in in honky-tonks yeah. I mean, it is the great juxtaposition of country music, isn't it? Right. <laughs> you know, so many of them came from seminary or, uh, you know, religious homes. I think growing up in the church, you learn how to tell a story and you learn how to uh, sing a song for sure. So there's not a moment I have not felt supported and uh, like totally loved by my family um but it is it's it's a separation in some way because um my my great-grandfather who was the one that kind of started the legacy of music had a massive conversion experience if that makes sense in christianity he was a he was an alcoholic and just a, a bad guy and um converted and so there's definitely like a family legacy that's related to religion just as much as it is with music and I've I've found uh my family to be so so proud of us even you know my brother plays with me and my sister's an incredible singer um they have never not supported what we do and that's a beautiful thing sometimes that causes divide and I'm grateful to not have had that divide in my family listening to your music I've got to ask, are these life stories, life experiences that you've experienced, Abby? Uh, yeah. I mean, for the most part, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think sometimes I, I'm observing behavior and watching other people, but <laughs> for the most part, it's mine. Yeah, well, the trailer park queen, you, you had a relative that lived all her life in a trailer park, right? Yeah, she still does. Her name's Lulabelle. She uh she actually owns that trailer park now. Um there you go. so she's the maitre d' of the trailer park. Final question for you. You're on tour right now, as a matter of fact, going all over the place. And uh what 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 is the most well compelling part about touring as a young woman out there all over the country? What's what's the impactful message that what have you learned by that? Oh, man, I think I have learned um, how to be an adult <laughs> in a lot of ways, right. like uh, how to find the bank that works with my bank at home and like, you know, get the oil changed and the transmission fluid going. I think I've also just uh, I there was so much of the U.S. that I've not seen. Like I had not been past Texas probably four years ago. I had never been to Colorado. I'd never been to California. 
And in the last two years, I have been to every state except for Alaska and Hawaii, <laughs> which is crazy. Wow. So I, I'm just really, it's taught me so much about people and meeting people where they're at and letting other people tell you who they are instead of you deciding, you know, so touring has been such a beautiful lesson in that it's been awesome. And lied to you. I said it was a final question, but I've got a follow-up to that. As you go out there and you're meeting all these people in new places, by the way, uh, that you've never visited before, what what are you learning about America? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think most recently it's that... Um, I am like totally privileged to be in a position like coming from the South, our communities just work so, so easy. And like we connect really easily. There's, there's a lot of pleasantries we do to get to know one another. And I think the more I've traveled across the U S I have learned so much more about like connecting to other people <laughs> and that everybody does it in a different way. And all of it's good <laughs> like it's not just because you're different from me that you're against me it's actually that i have something to learn from you and you have something to learn from me and i think that's just a human experience thing like if i wasn't in music i think i would have learned that if i had traveled that's just worldview changing you know so i uh i'm very privileged i think to be in the position where i'm able to watch behavior and learn something from myself like that Abby Hamilton has been our guest here on the American Cattleman Podcast. Abby, this has really been interesting. This is probably not the interview you expected. <laughs> no, were, yeah. We're, we're diving deep into some really interesting areas, and, and you're a bright young woman, and, and we're so proud to have you on the American oh, Cattleman you. Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a very talented and unique Abby Hamilton out of Kentucky. You want more of her? You can find it at abbyhamiltonmusic.com. That's a wrap. And thanks for being with us. And if you don't yet subscribe to this podcast or the American Cattleman Magazine, make sure you visit us at americancattleman.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.